This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 16, and we are recording on Wednesday, February 17th. I am Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from bookguide.com. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to the show. I'm doing jazz hands. <laughs> We're always doing jazz hands. This should just be called the Jazz Hands Podcast. Excellent. Right? Like, yeah. I have why a lot not? of enthusiasm. Um, so for those of you who are new to the show, uh, it's, like I said, a personalized reading recommendation show. We will answer your reading recommendation questions for you or for your book club or for a gift. If you have a read-alike that you're looking for, you know, like I read Harry Potter and I'm looking for something to fill that hole in my life, please help. We answer those kinds of questions. We can answer questions about what your book club should read next. Anything and all things uh, book recommendation related. So you can send those questions to us at getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can just go onto bookriot.com and navigate to the get booked section and drop your question in the form, which is at the bottom of every episode. And yeah, you want to just like jump in? Let's just I, I mean, you know, I feel like we should point out that all of the answers come with jazz hands. So oh, like, yes, yeah, that's extra incentive to send us your questions. That's real. We should really do an episode one of these days, like and record it on and put it on YouTube. <laughs> So people can see the ridiculous faces that we make. And today, like, I'm wearing my cowl today, my hunter's cowl today. So yes. it's like, you know, if you can imagine. I made I, I made her, I crocheted her a uh, the cowl that Katniss wears yes. in Catching Fire because um, it's cozy. Because you're magic. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shine mm-hmm. your halo. Okay. Yes. All, All right. right. So questions. Question one. This is from Katie. All right. Let's see. Um, I have found I enjoy books with magical elements and the idea of a world within a world. I've enjoyed Neil Gaiman. Uh, Neverwhere is probably my favorite. I finished the Magician's Trilogy. And from all the books, which is Liberty's, uh, Liberty Hardy's podcast, I picked up Bone Gap, which was YA slash magical realism, and I enjoyed that. It's not a genre I'm familiar with, and I specifically like books where there's the regular world and then the magical or fantastical. I've also found I really enjoy these books on audio, so if you happen to know of any with an excellent audio version, even better. So that is from Katie. Oh, she says, P.S. I have, of course, read Harry Potter. <laughs> Great, because that's... A plus. I need to recommend Harry Potter. I feel like I, I will never mention Harry Potter on the show. No, no one no. needs that. Right? Like, you all know. Harry Potter is the answer to every question. I mean, kind of. <laughs> all right, you've got more than me, so yeah, you go first. Yeah. Well, I just... Okay, first I want to say, welcome to Portal Fantasy. That's what these are called, where there's, mm. like, a door or a wardrobe or a letter, and somehow you're transported from one world into the other world. Portal Fantasy. It's your new best friend. Um, and yes, I have a bunch of favorites. This is also my jam. Um, the very first one I have for you is an older one. It's called War for the Oaks by Emma Bull. Um, I first discovered this book when I was a teenager and like not only is it an excellent fairy story that also takes place in Minneapolis, but it's like full of rock and roll. It's all about the power of music. The main character is um, a musician and she is like, you know, walking the streets after kind of her life is like destructed around her. She's left her boyfriend and then their band. And then this man and dog are following her and she's trying to figure out what's going on. And then she becomes this, like she becomes involved in this big sealy, unsealy war, which is, you know, fairy courts. Um, <laughs> and it's just a really like super, I want to say badass. Are we allowed to say that? I can't remember if I'm allowed to say that on this show. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, but it's really, it's a rock and roll fantasy, portal fantasy, fairy tale, super cool book. All right. My first pick is Half Resurrection Blues by Daniel Jose Older. And yes. it's a great audiobook, And the, the author narrates it. And he has an 
excellent voice. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I do recommend the audiobook. Um, so this was actually in one of our original quarterly boxes, and I love not original, but one of the earlier ones. I love it so much. It's the first book in, in a, his series called Bone Street Rumba, and they take place in Brooklyn. And this is not the Brooklyn of like how to say this Williamsburg right this is not like literary fiction Brooklyn this is like actual Brooklyn maybe um so the main character's name is Carlos and he is a an an agent for the New York Council of the Dead which means that he uh you know works for this like uh a council obviously of um undead folk and spirits and supernatural beings um, working to maintain the balance between the living and the world of the dead. And so that's his job. He's an, Im- an in-betweener. So he died and then was partially resurrected. So he's kind of zombie-ish, but like you, if you look close at him, you can tell there's something wrong with him. Like he's very pale um, and cold and all of that kind of thing. But he's functioning in the world, but he also can see and interact with all of these uh, beings in the spirit realm, which is why he's so useful to the Council of the Dead, because he is in both worlds. And so the plot of this book is that there is another in-betweener who's a sorcerer, who's, you know, half dead, half alive. He can operate in both worlds. And he's summari- summon- summoning this, like, horde of really destructive spirit entities to eliminate all of the good and friendly um, spiritual beings that inhabit um, this area of Brooklyn. And so Carlos has to stop that from happening and stop the stop him from opening up an entrance into the underworld, which would allow all of these ghosts to just flood into the, the land of the living and destroy that balance. And um, all the meanwhile, he, he is searching for the truth about his own life before he was killed, which he does not remember. He vaguely remembers being murdered, but he doesn't remember anything about his life before that. Um, so lots of stuff going on. And the thing that I like about this world is that it's it's Brooklyn. It's like people going to stores and restaurants and going for walks and going to work and like cooking in their house and just kind of doing their lives. Um, but then all of this weird stuff happens and it's presented as so totally normal. Um, and the spiritual element of Daniel Jose Older's work is really interesting to me because it's all, it's very like ancestral related. Like um, the spirits that live in this world are um, historical or are related to the main characters or, or stuff like that. Like it's, it's all very tied together and cultural and fun. Um, so yeah, that's a great one. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, a bunch of that book takes place in Prospect Park, and there's this yeah. archway that he talks about, and like I walk near that archway on a semi-regular basis, and mm. I'm always just kind of like, oh, mm. what's going to happen? But Definitely happens. haunted. Definitely a haunted archway. <laughs> Super haunted. Barely um, certain. <laughs> my, okay, so my next pick for this question is Palimpsest by Catherine Valenti, um, which is a book that is kind of like, it's like... It's adult um, in the sense that there is this world, um, this other world in the city of Palimpsest, but to get there, you have to sleep with somebody else who has been there already. So, Mm. and people who have been there have this, get this sort of tattoo of a map of this part of the city that they visited, like it appears on them. Um, And so there's this like whole underground sort of network of people who have these tattoos who are sleeping with each other to get back to that world. Um, It's kind of dark. It's really, really good. Uh, It's, she's just amazing at building these like, sort of places that should seem familiar but then are so other. I I love her books and this one is one of my favorites. 
All right, so my next selection for this question is kind of a classic of the magical realism genre or whatever, and it's The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, and I think uh, Magda something is the translator. I don't remember her name. Um, But this is a multi-generational saga about a family, the Chueba family in Chile, and um, it starts with this, this patriarch, Esteban, who is in love with this woman named Clara, his wife, who is very... Again, they call it, like, touched in the book, but she's otherworldly. She's very, like, ethereal and ephemeral um, and has one foot in this life and one foot in, you know, supernaturally type stuff. Um, They have a daughter who falls in love with a man who is her father doesn't deem, you know, to be worthy. And then they have a a daughter, a granddaughter named Alba, who is beautiful and a a journalist and... um, wants to like lead the family in the country into the revolution. So it's 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 so it's so multi-generational but the the last generation that focuses on Alba um is taking I think is in the 70s during the uh, Chilean revolution. So there's a lot going on. Um there's a lot of family drama obviously. There's a lot of really pedestrian kind of family familial problems. There's politics. Um, a lot of like discussion of communism and that kind of stuff, but also there are like girls who turn into mermaids for reasons and like float off into the sunset because why not sure like i'm a whatever it's totally fine mermaids for reasons is now the show title (laughs) writing it down um and so yeah and i I really love this and the thing that that i like about the house of the spirit so much is that isabel allende was related to salvador allende who was obviously the president of chile during the revolution um and so she's got it's kind of a little very slightly autobiographical very slightly um but it has those elements, and at the same time... So it's interesting to me to think about, like, Isabella Allende sitting down to write this book that is partially a little bit sort of maybe kind of based on her family and her upbringing in Chile, um, and then putting in, like, the giant were-dogs and, yes. you know, the, the mermaid girls and all that, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, House of the Spirits. Go read it if you haven't. Classic. Love it. My last pick for you is also sort of in the YA genre, although everybody should read it. Um, It's the first book in the Metamorphosis series by Sarah McCary, All Our Pretty Songs. Uh, The... The three books in the series so far are all based on like a different kind of Greek mythology um, or fable. And this first one is a retelling of the story of Orpheus um, and Eurydice, except that the two main characters are best friends. They're both girls. They're best friends. They've grown up together. um, And one of them more or less gets kidnapped into the underworld. And uh, the other one has to figure out, like, should she go after her? How does she go after her? And this one actually, apparently, like, music and fantasy is on my brain recently, because this one mm-hmm. also has a really deep connection to music and how music can be magical. Um, so, yeah. And then if you like that one, there's two more where that came from. All right. So, ooh, I lost my place. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm done. We're You're done. done. Yes, next question. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So our next question is from Lexi. Um, She says, I love sweeping epic stories that are based on history but also discuss family and relationships. For example, The Invention of Wings by Sue Monk Kidd and Cutting for Stone by Abraham Vergesi. Any other recommendations like those books? You go first. Okay, pause to say Cutting for Stone is amazing. Yes. And if you have not read Cutting for Stone, people out there, um, go forth and do the thing. Please. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, Okay, so my first pick for this is The Sun by Philip Meyer, 
which came out in, I think, 2013 or 2012. I don't remember what, a couple years ago. Anyway, and it was one of my favorite books of that year. I love this book so much. But to warn you, it is super violent, like super, super violent. Some parts are hard to read. Um, so it is a multi-generational historical fiction book based in, uh, starts in the 19th century, mid-19th century in Texas. So it's a Western Um and it's super bloody and about power and land grab and money and what that kind of stuff does to a family. So it starts in 1849, and the main character is a boy named Eli who lives on a ranch in the Republic of Texas. And then a Comanche a tribe, com- band of Comanche Native Americans uh, storm his family's homestead and kill his family in front of him and take him captive. And he, instead of... Um, you know, dying or being sold off into slavery or whatever, he adapts to their life. So he learns how to speak their language. He gets another name. He becomes friends with, like, the other boys and men in the tribe um, and essentially just grows up with these people. Uh, and then he fights for he fights for them on their side when they're, like, battling other white men. And so he gets really confused about who he is and his identity and where his loyalties lie and all of that. But then um, as the... as Americans push farther and farther west and bring with them, like, disease and violence and all of that stuff. His uh, his family and his tribe starts to die out, and he finds himself, like, alone. And so then he has to figure out how to survive by himself. And so it's the story of him doing that and going from being an orphan who is living uh, in a culture that he was not born into, which is then itself destroyed, um, to one of the most powerful oil ranchers in Texas. And then it follows his son, Peter, who is not like that, is not ambitious like that, isn't cutthroat like that, isn't violent like his father. And therefore, Eli looks at him as less of, you know, like less than a man. And then you go all the way down through the family line up to Eli's great granddaughter. I don't remember her name, Um, but she because she's the matriarch, the modern matriarch. So she's the uh, existing kind of like right now. And she's fighting um, all of these men, rivals, uh, rival ranchers and rival, rival oil barons in Texas uh, as a woman, which is difficult in and of itself. But she has got that ruthlessness and that um, kind of bloodlust and ambition and all that. And then her children are worthless and like have never worked for <laughs> anything uh, a day in their life. And, you know, they're like in the book, they're kind of your prototypical annoying teenagers who just like want to fly around on private jets and talk on their cell phones and on Twitter or whatever it is. I don't remember, Um, you know, but they they don't work and they're just they're just worthless. So it's such an interesting examination of what happens, like how how wealth can corrupt a family at any level, whether you're starting out poor and you're pursuing it or you have or your family's always been wealthy and you've never experienced what it's like to be poor. Um, And he does it. he, He like sews that all into this really panoramic and beautifully written kind of history of the West and Texas and the frontier and oil brand and ranching, which is, I never thought I would find interesting, but I do. Um, but so yeah, to reiterate, super violent, but so, so good. Uh, right. My first one is the Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver, kind of a classic, modern mm-hmm. classic. Um, it is, the story is told by the wife and then the four daughters of this evangelical Baptist um, preacher who takes his family uh, on a mission to the Belgian Congo in 1959. Um, and you can imagine how well that might go. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it like through the lens of this family and the four, uh, five women in the family, you see this like 30 year stretch of um, African history, you know, from from their perspective and the ways in which it affects them and the people that they're trying to minister to. And it's I mean, it also is pretty dark, um, really, really satisfying, really, really lovely, um, highly recommended. Okay, my second pick for this is also kind of a classic, but if you're looking for sweeping epic stories of family and relationships, I think this is really the like crown jewel. It's 100 Years of Solitude by uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. This book follows seven generations of a family in Colombia. Um, it starts off with the patriarch Jose Arcadio Buendia, I think, and his wife, yes. whose name is Ursula, who's amazing. Ursula, Ursula is such an awesome character. Yes. She's so good. Also, who is his cousin. Right. Uh, There's a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much of that. Um, They found a town in Colombia called Macondo and then have, and then you just follow the misfortunes of their family for seven generations and all of their intermarriages. And there's a lot of repeated names. Uh, Like, I don't remember how many Jose Buendias there are in that book, but it's more than one. It might be more than four. Um, So if you're going to read it, keep up spreadsheet handy well, or something because there's like a family map in the front i think yes there is in my yeah there is in my yeah. copy my paperback so um and yeah and you would imagine a, a book about seven generations of a colombian family would have a lot of war and violence and it does there's a lot of love um there's magical realist elements um but mostly it's just full of like amazing one-liners like Gar- gabriel garcia marquez can just he writes like I don't know. I don't even know how to describe I mean, it. Like, he's a freaking genius. Yes. Like, they're so lovely and heartbreaking. And even if when these people... I have I have a hard time reading books about people who are destroying their lives because they're dumb. <laughs> like, that just I, you just want to get in there and, like, shake it. Like, like Romeo and Juliet. I just want to get in there and just shake them a little bit. Um, and you, I want to shake every person in this book. But I, kept, but I love it anyway, which is such a feat. Because normally I'll just put something like that down when characters annoy me. But... Man, they're so fascinating and just they're passionate, these people, every generation. Um, and their misfortunes are are so like funny and, and great. Anyway, so and it's a classic. It's huge. It's like 700 pages. So when I when you asked for an epic, I gave you an epic. <laughs> go forth. Go forth an epic. <laughs> Also an excellent show title. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Okay. So my next pick for you is also, it's like 900 pages long. Um, I read it for the first time last year and just fell in love. It's called Sacred Games by Vikram Chandra. Um, Technically, it's a mystery. It starts off with this inspector um, who is sort of the lone Sikh inspector in this, uh, in his precinct in India. Precinct is not exactly the right word, but you know what I mean. Um, And he gets called in on this sort of small town crime and then little by little gets enmeshed in this much bigger narrative that becomes about like all of like India's history and future and there's secret agents and there's family stuff and there's like level upon level upon level of like you're just like not sure like who you can believe or trust um it's not so much like generations of a family as it is like uh the lives of these 
basically there's three main characters. There's Sartaj, uh, the Sikh inspector, and then there's Ganesh Gaitande, who is like the biggest gangster in India. And then there's um, Sartaj's boss. And the ways that their lives have interacted and the history of their lives that brought them to this moment is all explored in really fascinating ways. Um, and I just like, when I finished, I was just like, no, like 900 pages later, I wasn't ready for it to be done, <laughs> which is a feat. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do our first sponsor, yeah. which is us, our steamy reading box. If you have not seen, this is the, this is the most book writing thing we have ever done, <laughs> ever. Pretty um, much. <laughs> so it's a one-time box of four of our favorite sexy books, fiction and nonfiction, because yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then also some bookish goodies, items, um, swag. I don't want to tell you what, they, I'm not going to tell you what they are because it's a surprise, obviously, as are the titles in the book. Uh, uh, the titles in the box. And there are no repeats for books or items um, from any of the quarterly boxes. So if you've already subscribed to the quarterly boxes and, and gotten, you know, the stuff that we've sent you in those, you're not going to get any of the same things in this. Um, and I, I wasn't, I know what's in it. Um, I, Rebecca Shinsky is our, um, oh my gosh. Director of content. Thank you. I was like blanking on her title. Um, <laughs> put this together. And this is, she's got a um, like master's in psychology she was going to be a sex therapist so this is like her wheelhouse and the books that she selected are so amazing and they're diverse not just genre wise and not just fiction and nonfiction, but in like all the ways you want your your sexy steamy reads to be diverse um and yeah it's just it's a good box it's like solidly good and i've read all of the books that are in it and they're all really fantastic and go forth read some steaminess <laughs> my favorite story about this box is that the people who helped like pack it up wanted to keep the extras because (laughs) they were so good like when the people who are like packaging your box to go out into the mail want to keep stuff from it that's a a good sign it's a good one that's a good sign Mm -hmm. all right so you can go to store.bookriot.com and just click on the big image at the top to go to the steamy reading box and yeah i will also it's a a steamy image too you'll you'll know when you see it so good our graphic designer uh scott just really nailed, nailed it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> oh, puns. Okay, question three. Uh, this is from Libby. I have an unquenchable thirst for stories about questionably sane young women in ominous old houses. What a good. That's Very a good. That's so good. I've already read Rebecca, The 13th Tale, The Seas, This House is Haunted, We've Always Lived in the Castle, The Turn of the Screw, The Yellow Wallpaper, and The Works of Kate Morton. Do you have any further suggestions? I'd be especially interested in ones that are not set in England, which is most of what I've read so far. This was tough. Yeah. This is tough. Um, the not England part in particular. Yes, that was This is like England's hard. wheelhouse. <sighs> old houses. Okay, so before I get it, I've got more, so I guess I'll go first. But before I do, I wanted to tell you that we've got a post on the site called Young Women, Old Houses, which is just this. Um, it's a bi-borough bypass, and so I will leave a link to that. There's a, a romance in it. Um, there's one that takes place in Paris and New York, and I think the other one is historical fiction. But anyway, um, so yeah, our contributor Tasha put that together. So I will leave that link in the show notes. So my first pick for this, I have not read, but I have read other books by this author. And when I, I, I took this question to Slack to our contributors to see what they came up with. And this was the first one that everybody was like, yes, this is so good. Um, and it's White is for Witching by Helen Oyoyemi whose book Boy Snowbird I have read and loved. And Helen Oyoyemi is so good at that like dark fairy tale-ish kind of tone. Um, and this, unfortunately, sorry, is set 
in England, in Dover. Um, it's about twins, Miranda and Elliot, and their mother has gone, uh, has left them, and they live in this big old house with Luke, who is their father. Um, the house is creaky and confusing. Sometimes when you walk in, the rooms are not where they were when you left. Um, the, the garden is maybe a little haunted. And Miranda, one of the twins, um, has a sense for that kind of thing, like a sense of the spiritual. And she starts to become more attuned to the supernatural goings on in the house than she is to her father and her brother, who she actually lives with. And then one night, she just vanishes. Um, and so there's what's, a, what's going on, and they have to figure out what happened to her and what's going on with the house. And the last section of the, the book is told in four voices and one of the voices is the house itself which I think is a really cool um neat kind of twist on this haunted house girl who's maybe crazy inside haunted house um thing so yeah white is for witching Helen Oyoyemi my first pick is also one I haven't read but it's been on my TBR list for a while and I don't know that it's the first one of this genre but it's an early one um it's the mysteries of Udolfo excuse me, uh, Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. And it's, it was written in like 1794. (laughs) It's old school. Um, Anne Radcliffe was like known as being like an early Gothic romance writer. Like if you read, um, I think it's in Austin, although also some other like classics, I definitely have seen references to her in George Eliot. People are like, Oh, and Ms. Radcliffe's latest, like she did this very like gossipy, like, Oh, are you reading Ms. Radcliffe's latest? (laughs) So she's referenced in other books, which I always think is fun. Um, and the mysteries of Adolfo is about an orphan named Emily St. Aubert, who she is like separated from the man she loves and is sent off to live in the medieval castle of her aunt's new husband, who's like a terrible human being. Mm. Um, And there's an unwanted suitor and like maybe the castle is haunted and it's medieval and it's super gothic. And um, yeah, really like I've, this book has been on my TBR list for ages. Maybe I will finally read it, but I'm like, it's kind of seems perfect for you. I think it is the first. um... Right. I like don't want to claim that because I'm sure that the, you never know, but I feel like it's one of the very first. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So my second pick for this is a short story. It's called The Bloody Chamber uh, by Angela Carter. And you could there, there's actually a really pretty new edition of um, the short story collection that The Bloody Chamber came in um, out from Penguin, of course. Um, so I will try and find the link to that specific new edition to leave in the show notes because um, it's it's just super fancy and pretty. And it has an intro by Kelly Link, which is awesome. Uh, anyway, so this is a kind of modern for the for Angela Carter, which means like mid 20th century um, retelling of the Bluebeard myth. It's about a teenage girl who marries an older Marques. I don't know how to say that. Marquis? Yeah, you did it right. Marques. Okay. Um, well, if who, it's Q-U-E-S-S, it's Marques. It's Q- I don't remember. <laughs> Whatever. For a wealthy French nobleman. So this isn't, this isn't England. It's France, which is, I mean, not that far off from what you've already read, but whatever. Um, So she marries this older man who she doesn't love, but he promises her wealth and, you know, a comfortable life and all of that. Um, He takes her to his castle, and then she discovers that he's really uh, into sadism in, like, a not consensual kind of way. Um, And she is a talented pianist, and um, so that's kind of how she occupies her time. She plays the piano to cope with the fact that she doesn't love this man and that he's kind of... Um, sick a little bit 
He goes away on a business trip and tells her that she's got the run of the house except for one particular room, a la Bluebeard. Of course, he leaves and she goes into the room because why wouldn't she? Um, and then finds a, an Iron Maiden and a bunch of torture tools and also the bodies of all of his ex-other dead wives who have died under mysterious circumstances. So he's murdering them. Um, he comes home early and finds out that she, you know, went into the room and knows his secret. And so she, he goes to kill her. And then things happen. And I don't want to spoil the ending for you. But it's a short story. It's, it's an excellent work of feminist literature. It's a creepy as all get out. Um, and yeah, I love it. And then when you're at it, while you're at it, just read the rest of the collection. <laughs> Please. Thank you. <laughs> Indeed. Um, okay, my second pick for you is uh, an Iris Murdoch book that I just love. Um, it's called The Unicorn. I, I think it might be, it's like on an island coast kind of place. I can't remember if it's actually set in Ireland or not, but Iris Murdoch is Irish. Um, and it's about a woman who takes a post as a governess at Gay's Castle, which is like, you know, out in the middle of nowhere in a castle. Um, and there's a creepy housekeeper and children who are saying things that children maybe shouldn't say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all of your standard excellent stuff. And Iris Murdoch is so, she's such a good writer. She's such a good writer. Um, I feel like, like, she's like kind of like a cult classic. Like some people like really know and love her and then other people have never heard of her and everybody should read her. The end. Tumblr.com. All right. So my last pick for you is The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, which I'm surprised you have. I mean, you've read most of the classics of this uh, sort of subgenre, but this is one of the the big ones. Um, this act, And this takes place in America? Yes? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Getting out of England. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Hill House is this uh, haunted, maybe, mansion, and there's a owned by the Crane family, and there is a supernatural investigator named Dr. John Montague who is taking people who have inter who have had interactions with the supernatural into the house to sequester them there for a summer and see how they react. If there's any um, evidence of ghosts in the house. Um, that is that are brought about by these people who are really sensitive to the supernatural. And so he brings his assistant, Theodora, and a girl named Eleanor, who's kind of the main character, who's very shy and fragile and maybe crazy, you don't ever really know. And then a man named Luke, who is uh, the heir of Hill House, who is hosting them and kind of leading them around. Um, so stuff starts happening in the book, Sort of. It's very Turn of the Screw-ish. And you mentioned that you've, you've read Turn of the Screw, where an event can be interpreted as a ghost... Um, or a, an evil entity harassing people, or the event could be people harassing each other, people making stuff up, somebody imagining a thing, um, somebody losing their mind and doing it, and then forgetting that they did it. Like, you never really know exactly what's going on, and you're seeing all of this happen through the point of view of Eleanor, who, from the minute you meet her, is not a reliable narrator and isn't reliably sane. <laughs> so th this could be like the most haunted house that ever was haunted, or it could be totally normal. And these people are just m working themselves up into a frenzy. Um, and yeah, and that's really it. I think that's probably the closest that you're going to get to questionably sane young woman in ominous old house. Because <laughs> um, she is questionably sane, like totally questionably sane. Um, and it's co further complicated when like more people come to the house and experience nothing. So when the four of them are alone in the house for a while, they all experience this weird supernatural phenomenon that could be something, could be nothing. But then more people come and they don't experience anything at all. So is the house picking people that it wants to show itself to? Is the house cognizant? Are all of them crazy? Like, it's just so many questions. Very open-ended. Um, and yeah, fun. So yeah, Hunting of Hill House, Shirley Jackson. 
Moving on. Next question. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, I'm going to shorten this a little bit. It's a really lovely long letter from mm. Jules, um, who starts off saying, I'm an amateur reader, and it takes me what feels like forever to get through a book. I only discovered I love books in my early 20s. Welcome, Jules. Mm. Um, I love sci-fi and fantasy, but also literary fiction. Uh, I just need more. My personal life tends to change very little, and I thrive on change, so I need a boost. I just want to dive into a world that would leave me breathless or evoke a greater element for contemplation. Um, yeah, we can give you that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start because I okay. have slightly more. Um, yes. My first pick for you is both sort of sci-fi and very literary. Um, it's On Such a Full Sea by Chang Rae Lee, which you probably have heard about me have heard me talk about on this podcast before. Um, it's the one that's narrated sort of like a Greek chorus, as Amanda put it, um, mm -hmm. by the village that our main character, Fan, grows up in. Well, not village. She It's a future version of Baltimore, but it's got like a very sort of small town feel to it. Um, and what happens is, uh, you know, they're kind of like America has declined. There's been an economic crash. Everybody's kind of making do in these like self-contained labor colonies. Um, and then there's, of course, the 1% who are living in these wonderful places. And then there's like the very bottom where there's sort of these enclaves in between the labor colonies where anything could happen. Um, and Fan, who lives in Baltimore, which is uh, sort of a fish producing place so you know food based um her boyfriend mysteriously disappears and she leaves to go and find him um and her quest sort of takes her through all of the different places in this world um it's incredibly good it's so interesting especially because it's it's sort of her hometown guessing what has happened to her as she goes out there so it's a little bit like it's not, like, given as hard, like, this is what happened next, but it's like, this is what we think happened, and it gives this the, it, this very surreal sort of feeling through the whole thing. Um, and it becomes this world that it's really hard to stop thinking about. I loved this book. All right. Um, my first pick for this, I focused on the you love sci-fi fantasy passion for life thing uh, here. And so my first pick is The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. And I love this book so much. It's the most evocative um, book that I've read in forever. I can't think of like better world building, um, but it's about a night circus. It, it's a circus that arrives. It just appears out of nowhere. Everything is black and white and red. Um, and the, what you call them? Not, not ex exhibitions, the acts or whatever. The acts in the circus aren't your typical circus stuff. It's more, uh, everything is based in magic. Like it's all very magical. And then it appears and leaves with no warning. There's no announcements. There's no uh, billboards. There's no nothing. And, well, there wouldn't be billboards because this takes place in, like, Victoriana, <laughs> but you, you get my drift. Um, and behind all of that, behind all of this beauty and, like, lush, sensual stuff happening in this circus, there's this competition between two magicians, Celia and the guy's name is Mark or something? Marco. Um, who were raised by illusionists to compete against each other. Um, as kind of pawns in this chess game between these two, uh, their parents, well, quote-unquote parents, uh, who are enemies and are using, trying to prove who is the better magician, essentially, by training these kids to then fight and or kill each other. Um, the two main characters, Celia and Marco, don't know that that's what's happening. They know that there's a competition that they want to, they are one-upping each other with each new act in the circus that they're creating. Um, but they don't know that the person that they're trying to one-up is the, is 
the other one, if that makes sense. Like they know that they're in some competition out there in the world to be the best magician for some reason because their parents or the person who raised them train them that way, but they don't know that like the person that they're fighting with is this person who I work with and who I have come to love. And of course there's a romance, um, a little bit. <laughs> and then yeah, they, more than a little bit. I there's mean, a lot yeah. of the, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's a, some, yes, they like each other a good bit. Um, and then when they discover that they are each other's kind of enemies or at least adversaries, they have to figure out a way to get out of it without dying. So complicated. Um, but really beautiful writing, excellent, excellent world building. And I think you will, I think you'll like it. Yeah, Night Circus. I am going to recommend another Catherine Valenti book, who I already <laughs> recommended, but she's great, and I really feel like you'd like this one. So uh, her latest novel, Radiance, is as actually also one I've talked about on the show before, but it's like a punk alt history space opera mystery science fiction set in like a alternate past of uh, Hollywood. Mm. <laughs> so the main character Severin Unk, um, her father is a famous director of of movies in this alternate like 1986 where talkie movies are still not a real thing. Um, so it's mostly silent movies. Um, and she, like as rebellious children do, decides that she's going to go in a completely different direction and starts making documentaries. And she's traveling through the solar system. And in this solar system, like all the planets are sort of colonized. Um, and so she's looking at these weird cults on Neptune and saloons on Mars. And it's very like, you know, sort of cool, like what what we thought it was going to be like back when we were first talking about space exploration. Um, and, uh, and then she disappears and people are trying to figure out what happened to her. Um, and all they have is this film reel, um, from her last documentary. Um, and it's told in all of these, like kind of a little bit disjointed perspectives. So it takes a little while to get through. You don't want to read it super fast. Um, but it's so immersive. Like it's such a cool, interesting world that you just want to know more about. It's a it's a really incredible world building experience. Okay, I also am repeating an author here. <laughs> uh, my second my second pick for this is Boy Snowbird by Helen Oyoyemi, who I already recommended, but who is amazing. Mm -hmm. And this is a retelling of the Snow White myth set in 1950s Massachusetts, told from the point of view of the wicked stepmother. So the main character's name is Boy. Um, she leaves her life in New York, where she's had an abusive uh, relationship with her father. And she runs away to Massachusetts looking to start over. She marries a local widower and becomes, you know, obviously the stepmother to his daughter, whose name is Snow. Then she has her own child with her husband, uh, her daughter, whose name is Bird. Um, but Bird is born dark-skinned, which exposes the family of her husband as African-Americans who have been passing for white in the 50s uh, in Massachusetts. And so she's got to deal with... Um, feeling like she's been lied to or betrayed, and then having Snow, who's her stepdaughter, who is light-skinned and, you know, considered beautiful, and then have her biological daughter, Bird, be cast off and rejected um, by society and by her family because of her skin color. So it's taking the Snow White myth and using it to examine race in America, both in the 50s and, you know, obviously it's relevant to right now. Um, and I thought that the the thing of telling the story from the Wicked Stepmother's point of view was really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of that going on right now, like with the Maleficent movie that just mm -hmm. came out, having stories told from the villain's perspective to kind of humanize them a little bit. Um, 
But this, I didn't, it didn't feel cheap or like a trick to me. It felt very like natural and um, kind of brilliant. Anyway, the book is brilliant. It's, it's really, really well written. There's lots of twists. Um, and she manages to hold on to that fairy tale feeling while at the same time writing a very literary book about race in the 50s in Massachusetts, which is, she's just very talented. That seems like a hard thing to do to me. Um, so yeah, Boy Snowbird, Helen Oyoyemi. All right. And my last pick is A Stranger in a Laundria by Sophia Samatar, one of my favorites. And their <laughs> sequel is coming out soon, April. Um, mark your calendars. Uh, but so this first one um, introduces us to the world of a laundria. There's a young man named Javik whose father is a pepper merchant, and um, his father dies, and so Javik is going to take over the family business. And he goes to the main city, um, and there's a festival, and then he, like, become suddenly gets just totally off course he has this sort of supernatural experience and becomes haunted by the ghost of a young woman who he met on the trip to Alondria um and so when you talk about passion for life like this young girl has died and like her spirit cannot rest until everyone knows her story so Jevik is being haunted by her because she wants him to tell her story to the world um and there's also a lot of politics and he gets pulled into this strange sort of political situation that maybe is leading towards war um and so the world building is really complex and fascinating, but the, at the heart of it, it's all about like wanting people to know who you are. Um, and it's just beautiful. All right. Um, second sponsor. Second sponsor. This is all you, girl. It's Book Riot Live. Oh, yeah. More jazz hands. Mm-hmm. All the jazz mm-hmm. hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Dance party. Um, so, yes, it, you may recall that last year we had our very first Book Riot Live. It's a two-day reader convention um, where we, like, basically get the gang together, like, staff and the readers and our favorite authors and our favorite interesting people from the bookish world. Um, and we have programming and panels and games and it's all happening again this year on november 12th and 13th so you should mark your calendars it's going to be in new york city again same venue metropolitan west um and i'm really excited because obviously we've already started planning and that's my job and Mm -hmm. um we're gonna uh, it's gonna be fun because we had so much fun doing certain things last year that we're bringing them back for example the farm to table panel where we looked at how a book gets from like manuscript pages into your hands um, with people who are involved in that process. And uh, we're going to do the Star Wars, Shakespeare Star Wars again, which was yes. so much fun. I know, it's going to be the best. Um, last year, we were lucky enough to have three audiobook narrators participate. We'll see who our special guests are this year, but it's going to be great. Um, and yeah, and then, of course, there will be awesome new things, which we're already plotting and are going to be super fun and will be revealed in due course of time. So tickets go on sale March 28th, and if you go to bookriotlive.com, you can sign up for the newsletter and get alerts about panels as they get booked. Um, You'll get a reminder when tickets go on sale. There will be some excellent deals on tickets, so you'll want to keep an eye on that. And yeah, it's going to be super fun, and you should definitely plan on joining us. So you've got lots of time to like get in your vacation days, mm-hmm. <laughs> plan out you know, where you're going to look, what fun New York-y things you'll do while you're here if you're not from around town. It's going to be a good time. I had so much fun. Oh my gosh, it was just like the most fun, <laughs> really. It really and I got was. to see Margaret Atwood. Yeah, like, Margaret Atwood was our special guest last year, and that was amazing. In the bathroom. That yeah. was so... You're like, you come out of the stall, go to wash your hands, look up, and there's Margaret Atwood looking at you in the mirror. Like, 
hi. Yeah, that was, I saw that tweet happen like five or six, you know, because like people like, you know, you go wash your hands, like, you know, you're in the space for a while, like you're going to run into interesting people in the bathroom. That's just what's going to happen. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so come so to yes, come to, come to Book Riot Live. You'll run into authors in the bathroom. It'll in be cool. That's what we're going to be famous for. <laughs> Next question. All right. Uh, this is from Emily. I belong to two book clubs and we seem to read much of the same genres, realistic fiction, historical fiction, and mysteries. I would like to, uh, I would like to suggest some books that take us out of what we usually read and thought romance and sci-fi would be a good place to start. Um, so she's listened to the romance recommendation episode and is going to use those, some, use those suggestions. Do you have any recommendations on science fiction? None of us are science geeks, so nothing too technical. I was thinking about something that involves travel to other planets with some suspense slash thriller type action thrown in. I just got my hands in the book Saturn Run by John Sanford and thought this might be a good place to start. Any other ideas? Okay. Oh, wait. Who did I? Hmm. 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 This is either from Emily or Janice. I'm I not really sure. I think it's from Janice. I think okay. it's from Janice. Sorry. I put two names there, which make no sense. Um, all right. You've got more, so you go first. Okay. Uh, my first pick for you is Ancillary Justice, which is the first book in a series by Anne Leckie. I cannot say enough good things about this book, mm. mostly because the main character is a spaceship who is now embodied. Um, okay. So, yeah, so like used to be a spaceship now has a body and is is the circumstances by which this happened are very strange and unusual um, obviously and uh, Breck the character is trying to figure out what the heck happened why it happened and there is kind of a murder mystery involved which is really interesting um, but what makes the book so interesting is that because she, Breck used to be a spaceship. There are certain human concepts that just don't make sense, like gender, for example. So she just refers to everyone, including herself, as she, regardless of, like, what parts they have. Because she just can't, like, can't be bothered. Like, it's not important in any way to her understanding of how people work, which is fascinating. Um, and there's lots of other little details like that where it's like, yes, what happens if you put an artificial intelligence into a human body and then send it out in the world to solve a murder? Like, it's a really interesting question. And also there's, you know, interplanetary politics and really cool different, like, worlds and cultures and all of that good stuff. So a lot of, to a lot of, uh, discussion topics in there for a book group it's perfect yeah yeah okay so my first pick for this is grim space by anna Gire. and this uh book is kind of like the born identity but with a woman and in space nice yeah which i think makes it really great for a book club because you said suspense thriller action so that's that's what this is um so the main character's name is sarintha jacks she has a rare genetic anomaly that allows her to jump ships through uh, through what they call grim space. So in the same way that like when you watch Star Trek and they turn on the light speed and they like warp drive from one end of the galaxy to the other, this is the same sort of concept, except you need a pilot to do it. You need a person with this genetic ability to navigate through those um, those huge expanses of space that you are going through. And she has that ability to do that. Um, but every time you jump in this book, you lose a little bit of your strength, you lose a little bit of your ability to do it. Like, every person who does these jumps knows that their their time is limited, that they can only do so many of them, but you don't ever actually know when that time is coming. So it could be two, it could be 200. It's just a risk you take. So these characters tend to be kind of wild and reckless. Um, so she's got this talent. It makes her really uh, valuable to the corp, which is like a corporate government 
oversight uh, entity that runs this world. Um, and then she has a crash landing that kills everyone on board, including uh, her, her co-pilot, who was also her, her lover. Um, so everybody dies, and she wakes up in a jail cell, the only survivor with no actual memory of how she got there, what happened during the crash, whose fault it was, um, nothing. She remembers nothing. Uh, and she assumes that they're going to kill her. So it's in that Bornish sort of way where a, a really talented special operative agent for the government wakes up somewhere and is like, what? <laughs> and then goes on a quest to discover the truth. So she's rescued by a group of rogue fighters who break her out of jail um, and they want her to help them overthrow the corp, which is turns out to be like this evil, horrible dictatorship, as these giant corporate government entities tend to be in science fiction. Um, so it's, there's a lot of uh, traveling from planet to planet. There's a lot of weird cultures and like civilizations that she encounters. Uh, a mystery. There's a tiny little bit of romance, very much so on the side, but it's there. Um, and she, Sarantha, is an amazing character. She's um, angry and reckless and curses a lot and just doesn't She's very selfish. She's she's complicated and flawed, which are my favorite kind of female characters because we are all complicated and flawed. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to talk about and pull out of this book. So I think it would be good. So that's Grim Space by Anna Geary. And it's the first in a series. So if you like it, you can, you know, all of your book club can go off and finish the series if you feel like it. All right. My second pick is Consider Phlebas, which is still one of the <laughs> oddest titles of a book. Like, it's such a weird title. And, like, even having read the book, I don't quite remember what it means. But anyway, <laughs> it's by Ian M. Banks, and it's really good. Um, it is also the first in a big series. Um, and there's, like, this huge war against two giant opposing sides. Um, on one side, there's this uh, sort of alien race that is fighting for their really intense super faith. And then on the other side is this, like, sort of high-minded, like morally slash logically structured uh, civilization called the culture, and the two are battling. Um, and there's obviously a lot of people caught in the crossfire. And so this uh, book follows the this one sort of mercenary crew um, who are trying to just make a payoff and get caught in a way bigger situation than they think they're planning for. Um, and a lot of people die. Um, it's pretty violent. Not like, I, I mean, I have a low tolerance for like a lot of gore, or like seriously intense violence. And I, it was, it's pretty like standard level of violent. Um, but there's, I mean, that's a horrible thing to say, but I think you know what I mean. Um, and it's really interesting. There's a lot of different alien types. There's a lot of different, you know, personality types in this crew. It's a sort of Motley Crew situation. Um, and then there's this really big backdrop to it that's a lot of fun to think about. All right, so my second pick for you, I kind of combined the romance and the science fiction um, and came up with Cinder by Marissa Meyer, which is the first book in a young adult series called The Lunar Chronicles. And each book, there are, I think are five now, but each book... It takes a fairy tale and retells it in a science, in this futuristic sci-fi dystopian setting. Um, so the first one, Cinder, is a retelling of Cinderella. Cinderella is a cyborg in this book because amazing. Yes! <laughs> it is so good. Um, so she's a cyborg. She's partially machine because of a, an accident when she was younger. And then through a series of events, she, her life becomes really intertwined with print, the prince, uh, Kai. His name is Kai. And in this future, it takes place in what is now China, but I don't know that they call it China. I think it's New Beijing. Is yeah, the yeah, city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
Um, and uh, her life becomes intertwined with this prince, and she then finds herself at the center of this war between New Beijing and the rest of Earth and the Lunars, which are um, humans who we we sent to colonize the moon generations ago who have set up their own uh, society on the moon and have developed these kind of very science-based, but to a person um, who doesn't know that, like, magical abilities. They can glamour, so they can make you see whatever they want you to see as far as, like, their appearance goes. Um, and so we are at war with them, it, and uh, Cinderella, or Cinder, as she's called in the book, gets caught up in trying to save the world, as you do. Like so, you do. Mm-hmm. Like you do, when you are a teenage girl in a science fiction white house. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Save the world. And of course, she's got a motley crew of secondary characters, and each book follows the secondary characters a little more intensely, each book in the series. And it's just really well done. She's got, uh, Marissa Meyer has a really creative way of taking elements and tropes from the fairy tale that she's dealing with and making them sci fi based um, in this dystopian uh, society. So, and the romance is not heavy handed. It's very much, um, I mean, Cinder is about her and Prince Kai, but it's also very much just about Cinder kicking butt and uh, taking names and saving the world. And the prince is saved by her on more than one occasion, which is a nice change. Uh, anyway, I just really love it. It's one of my favorite YA series. Uh, and I think there'd be a lot of food for uh, discussion for a book club in that. All mm-hmm. right. Should Last we question. keep going or should we call it? How are we doing on time? Oh, how are we doing on time? Let me see. Uh, we're at 52 minutes. I think we, I think we can. Okay. Yeah, let's just let's, let's just do, do it. it. Let's do it. We'll okay. go fast. Our last question, which I really appreciate this question, um, yeah, because this reader is like, am I, you know, talk about my jam? Uh, so this question is from Augustine. He says, "I am close to finishing David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest." Good job! I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Way to go, for real. Um, Take yourself out to dinner. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, and he says, "I plan on tackling Marcel Proust's Remembrance of Things Past next." Like, way to be ambitious. Mm. Uh, what book should I read in between? Looking for a breather of sorts, but something that still packs a punch. Um, Miss Marvel. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> just go read some comic books. Right. Well, so I have two nonfiction books because when I finished Infinite Jest, like I was kind of ruined for fiction for a good chunk of time. Like I literally could not read other fiction because it was mm. just too much for me um, mm. to have finished. Yeah. So, so my first pick for you is. Um, just came out recently. Uh, it's called Incarceration Nations by Baz Dreisinger. And it is, uh, the subtitle is A Journey to Justice in Prisons Around the World. Light, you know, really light topic. Um, yeah. But no, so the author is involved in a prison to college pipeline program where they take, um, you know, incarcerated persons and help set them up with, you know, classes. And then when they are released from prison, they can then become full-time students, which is a really cool program. Um, and she starts she's working on thinking through like what it is that the prison system is meant to do, how the justice system works, how it doesn't work. And she goes to a bunch of prisons all around the world to see how different cultures and political systems handle this. And it's, it sounds really heavy. It is really intense, but what makes it so good is that Dreisinger is a really engaging narrator. Um, and so she's telling you the story of basically her travels and what it's like to go to these places. And, 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 and she's giving you the stats and like all of the facts and the information, but she's also coming at it from a personal perspective, which makes it a really like an incredibly fast and interesting read. Um, and I think it would be like, it kind of connects a little bit to Infinite Jest and a lot of that, you know, the halfway house is full of people who are in re- rehab coming from jail, have served jail time. Um, and it, and it's a really 
eye-opening look at how that all works. Highly, highly recommended. <laughs> okay, so my first pick is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin O'Leary Sines. Uh, I hope I said that right. Um, I, I picked this because it's not as brainy as uh, Infinite Jest or The Proust, because nothing is as brainy as Infinite Jest or The Proust. Um, but the writing is still so beautiful, and it has this giant emotional wallop. Um, so it's a YA novel coming of age about a boy named Aristotle who's a teenager. He's, his brother is in prison. His father is a war vet who's dealing with some PTSD. And his home life is just a little wrecked, and he's got a lot of anger issues. And he meets a boy at the pool named Dante. Um, and he Dante is an artist. He's kind of a know-it-all. He's very brainy. Uh, he's kind of weird. And they don't have anything in common, but they start to become friends because they're both loners, and they're both a little strange, and they, um, they both are a little standoffish in school. Um, and so they become friends, and they develop this really intense and, and just, like, lovely friendship throughout the book. Um, and then... Dante comes out to Aristotle, and Aristotle, who is a, you know, dealing with being an angry teen with a wrecked home life, who's just trying to kind of fit in and live quietly, doesn't really know how to handle that or process that. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's just nice. Like, it's just really lovely and nice. It's got some page turnery uh, elements to it that I think would be a nice refresher from um, reading those two giant things that you're reading right now. Um, but yeah, still packs a punch. Breather with a punch. That's what that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, and my second pick for you is a memoir, a food memoir, uh, Yes Chef by Marcus Samuelson, which I'm not much of a foodie and I'm not much of a memoir reader, but I loved this book. Um, so Marcus Samuelson, you like might recognize his name. He was on, I think, Top Chef. Um, he's like got a fancy restaurant in Harlem and was like, you know the chef at a starred restaurant in New York for a long time. Um, but he, uh, was, so he's Ethiopian and was adopted by a Swedish family. So he grew up in Sweden, learning how to cook from his adopted grandmother, Helga. Um, and so he learned like all of that kind of culture and stuff. And he like very early on found his passion for cooking. And then as a grown-up, he then went back to Ethiopia, um, sort of not only to discover his own roots, but also to learn about the food and the culture of his homeland. So it, it's a really interesting look at sort of these different food styles. And he's a really good storyteller. Like his stories about his growing up and becoming a chef and what that whole journey is like and then what it's like to be famous as a chef, um, is it's so well done. It's really fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Okay, my second pick for you is uh, My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante, or the, which, you know, is the, the Neapolitan series that's been getting all of this buzz. You can read the whole thing if you want. Uh, but the reason that I picked this is because uh, Infinite Jest and Proust are dude-heavy. Mm. Uh, they're both really dude-heavy. And so My Brilliant Friend deals with the same, especially as the Proust, deals with the same kind of themes of memory and childhood and, um, you know, the unreliability of the way that we remember things and friendships and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's about two girls, so it takes place in the 50s in Naples, and uh, the two main characters are Elena and Lila. Lila? Lila. I'm going with Lila. Um, and they grow up uh, tough. They're, like, kind of street kids. They're poor, and their paths 
diverge and they go they grow apart and they come together and they grow apart and they come together over time and so it's just the story of their friendship and i think there are four volumes um and you can read all of them or none of them in between the proust or um or whatever but i think that reading my brilliant friend before you read remembrance of things past would be a, a really interesting exercise in how different authors handle um the concept of memory but it's very literary really well written but short so you're not going to uh it's it's just as intellectual and kind of heady as the dfw and as proust but it's you know 300 pages so it's not it'll be a breather comparatively speaking um and just yeah like an interesting experiment i think that's it are we done and that's our show yeah that's our we show. did it all right, if you like the show, please go rate us or review us on iTunes. It makes it uh, more discoverable uh, when other people are looking for the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And thank you to our sponsors, ourselves, the Steamy Reading Box and or Book Riot Live. And we will leave links to both of those things in the show notes. And you can go check those out. And we will talk to you all next week. Until then. Until then.